Hello and welcome to How to Win the Lottery, Episode 6, Colorless, Sukuru Tazaki and his years of pilgrimage by Haruki Murakami. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Bobby Fisher. And Bob, what is this book about? <laughs> Jumping off the jump, jump, jump. There you go. Can't do it more quickly than that. Sorry, I have the giggles. Starting with the giggles. Man, if we had started recording like six minutes ago, it would have been a much better episode. <laughs> Unrelated to this, but... Uh... Or not. Colors Scooter Tazaki and his years of pilgrimage is about a guy who loves trans. Just a boy who loves trans. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That's it. <laughs> if this were a video podcast, you would have seen Bob take a sip of water and basically turn the camera. <laughs> oh, God. You think anybody enjoys this? Or is, it, is this just for us? It's just for us. All right. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Okay. So, uh... All right, all right, okay. <laughs> On camera, camera face, let's do this. <laughs> all right, it's a book about a... Uh, a young man. A man who suffers and uh, what we're led to believe is an extreme tragedy in the middle of... As soon as he goes away to college, when his group of very, very close friends stop speaking to him. And uh, the book is about him recovering from that tragedy. Yes, and he does not know. The tragedy is that they all stop talking talking to him. There's a group of five, and they are described as basically being as close as five friends can be. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. There's there's heavy shit in this book. We shouldn't be laughing. Bearing in mind that this whole, the whole thing, this entire season is processing pain. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's act professional for God's sake. <laughs> so this group of five friends is close. <laughs> it's closer than any group of five friends could be. And he goes off to college and the other four stop talking to him. He does not know why. And then later in life, he sort of moves on. And later in life, when he's dating this woman, she's like, you are dealing with some shit. Uh, You need to figure out what happened, and I'm going to help you figure this out. And so she Googles them, basically, and is like, here's where three of them are. The fourth is dead. Go talk to them. And after you do that, maybe whatever we have can continue. Yeah, because she feels like there's something inherently missing in his personality. When they're being intimate together, she feels as if he is... uh, at a distance because he has uh, trauma over the fact that his friends abandoned him. So he can't fully let himself go because if he were to fully let himself go, he would be opening himself up to this idea of, of hurt again. To to be once again abandoned by someone that he truly loved. Because basically since then he's had no friends. He's had like acquaintances and he's had, for lack of a better word, like lovers, but not really girlfriends. I mean, he's, he references girls he's dated, but like he's, yeah. he admits to this woman he's dating, Sarah, he never really loved them. He was just kind of with them. I don't think he realizes the extent to which these four people leaving him fucked him up. Like he might yeah. know, but he doesn't, he doesn't acknowledge it at least. Well, because he created a, a boundary for himself. The, the, the book's very uh, specific about that. Once he suffered this, uh, 
this trauma, he retracted into himself and became almost died, uh, literally almost died uh, from grief. And, and when he began to recover from the grief, he was a completely new person to the point where he actually physically changed. Like he, he, he yeah. does not look like the person that he used to look. His body changed. His posture changed. The shape of his face changed. He looks like a completely new, almost in, the, in an almost supernatural way. And it seems like, I think from the outside, you would say that his change is like, oh, he like became a man, like, you know, took care of himself and whatever, but like it, it's deeper and kind of darker than that. Like he slims down and kind of like gets more muscular and like, I think outwardly looks like he's got his life together, but it's really as his life is falling apart more that this actually changes. Because he's, learn he's learned how to close himself down from uh, the world and allow himself to like not be hurt anymore. Largely the second half of this book is him talking to the three friends of his that are still alive and finding out what, basically catching up with them, number one, but also finding out what happened. They're all like, oh, we thought you knew. Yeah. So let's go back. We'll, we'll, we'll get yeah. to why that happened yeah, yeah. And, and talk about that. But so the title of the book is Colorless Tsukuru Tazaki and His Years of Pilgrimage. Uh, what's up with the colorless part? So all four of his friends... The four of the five, they all have names that are colors in the Japanese language. Because this is originally, is this our first translated book that we're covering? I think so, right? Yes. Yeah. His one friend, Kuru, is black, means black in Japanese. Shiro is white. Aka is red. And Eo is blue. Sukuru, his name means to make or build. And there's no color. And so he's always sort of felt outside to them. Yeah. And also, he's always thought of himself as having no personality, that they all have a clearly defined role. It's kind of like, I was thinking about this, and it's not, it's kind of a dumbed down version of it, but like, they're kind of like a boy band. It's like, he's the cute one, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, the sporty yeah, yeah, one, yeah, he's, yeah. and like, Sukuru is like, I don't know where, I, I'm, I'm just like, the straight guy or whatever, like, yeah. the, and he always kind of feels like he doesn't fit in. Which is funny, because like, when he kind of brings that up to them later, he they're like, no, you were totally all, you were great, you were good looking, and you were you were charming. But then like, reading it, it's like, no, this guy has no personality. He's totally, he has totally flat personality. Everything he does is matter of fact. He's yeah. completely, he's an emotional void. And I don't know if this, if it's written overall in a way, or just the characters, but like, I kind of struggle through the first half, because like, Sukuru kind of sucks. Like, he's just, he just, he's not a great character. I mean, for the story it's telling, he's a functional, useful, yeah. worthwhile character. But, like, as a character, as the lead of a story, it's just like, oh, you've got nothing going on there. Yeah, there is something fundamentally annoying when an author is like, uh, I'm going to make the personality of my lead intentionally absent. In yeah. in intentionally boring, intentionally a cipher for like whatever is going on around him and like in movies that happens a lot like the the main character is like the audience surrogate or whatever right like paul walker's character in the fast and furious like brian is kind of like like he's got stuff going on but he's mostly compared to the world around him kind of bland and neutral because like you're the new person in that crew or whatever and you're also look this is I, I this is me wading into territory that is going to get me gunned down by but Paul Walker is a wooden actor. He's not, he, he's... Which is why he works in the role. I think that is uh, uh, retroactively fitting oh, maybe. To, 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 to him. Um, but, like, he he's a, a, a handsome face and a shirt. I mean, he's, not, you know, he's a guy with a good body and sure. good hair. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. In movies, I think it works because there's visually other stuff to look at. Like, 
it almost makes more sense for the main character in a lot of stories to be boring because if they're too dynamic, it's like, well, why are we wasting time with anybody else? But yeah. in the novel, when it's like from his perspective, so much of it is just like he's kind of eerie. He's just like, well, thanks for noticing me. Like, I just kind of, I'm just here. I get why they don't like me. And I was struggling because like it's just him internally mopey or like talking to other people and they're like what's wrong with you yeah. and then only when he gets to like maybe like kind of regresses to the happier point in his life by talking to people who he was with when he was a high schooler and like their dynamic personality even though they kind of suck as people some of them <laughs> it's like oh right like there's actual like life in this story Murakami as a stylist lends himself to this sort of thing his writing is always kind of matter-of-factly written even though he is frequently describing uh throughout throughout his novels there's pretty frequent graphic sexuality and uh sometimes violence and often things that are incredibly surreal there are surreal aspects of this book and i think that when this book is being surreal is when it's at its strongest mirakami and i'm sure part of this is because it's it's literature and translation so the style doesn't 100 translate Every, his writing is really flat. It's it's uh, it's not incredibly dynamic. It's written in a very matter of fact way that is uh, workmanlike. You 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 read it and it gets you through the plot and it gets you through the the events. It's not dazzling. It's not show offy. It is. Yeah. It very much gets you there through just telling you what's happening. And I think part of that is is, is why he's so popular. It's incredibly easy to read. It is. I have only read one other story of his, Hard-Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World. Is that mm-hmm. the title? Uh, I don't remember anything about it, but I remember really, really liking it. Without really a grasp of the popularity of the other authors, we've covered some other popular authors this, this season. I think from just having talked to you, like he's he might outsell the other nine authors in this season combined. Like yeah. He's just yeah. immensely... Um, to, to put it in perspective, this book sold in Japan something like 1.3 million copies in the first month that it was released last year 2020 the most popular book in america sold the most copies over the course of the entire year was barack obama's book and that sold i think 2.6 million in the entire year right so this book in a country that has i think 200 million less people than america uh this book sold half of the uh uh, obama's obama's uh, uh uh total numbers in one month we later find out that the reason that he was excommunicated was because one of the women in his group, one of the girls in his group, told the other ones that he raped her. We find out later that she had been raped and then later murdered, but the rest of the group, to some extent, knew that, like, it probably wasn't Sukuru and that she needed help. Yeah. Uh, let's let's rewind a little bit. Let's talk okay. about... Let's talk about Haida, who is a friend that he makes in Japan. Yeah. Japan. <laughs> They're all in Japan. <laughs> so uh, Tokyo, a uh, friend he makes in Tokyo. Tokyo is the school. He he moves from his uh, smaller city of Nagoya to Tokyo to go to uh, engineering school so that yep. he can become a train station a, builder, a train station builder, which is the symbolism of which we can get into a little later, even though uh, my take on it is a little murky. Um, but he after after being abandoned by these friends, he makes a new friend, Haida, which was my first like favorite part of the book i will say that i think i like this book less than any other book that we've covered so far Mm -hmm. i liked it but i did not really like it and i did not love it but i think this was the first part of the book where i was like oh there's something here because haida tells a story about his father yeah which is great yeah it's it's probably the best part of the book right yeah Yeah. about the death token right yeah so so haida's father um 
uh, is a, a jazz pianist, right? Mm-hmm. And he, uh, how does it go? He like he's like traveling around. He like I think he's like at a, at a hotel or something. And this guy, or maybe he's not at a hotel, but this guy's like, hey, we I, we should hang. Basically, we should hang out. Like this guy like makes seems to make an effort that like he wants to get to know Hayata's dad. He finds out and then communicates to the son or whatever as he's telling the story that this guy is on the verge of death. He has like a month to live. Yes, but he's okay with it. Because he has accepted that he will die. He's perfectly healthy. He, someone else had this affliction, question mark, where you are able to, you accept, it's basically like it follows, right? I don't yeah. know if that's going to translate to any of our listeners. But it's a thing that passes on, and that he accepts that he's going to die, and he can pass it on if somebody else accepts they're going to die. But, and it's unclear what happens if he just dies, because that seems to have never happened before. I don't know. In this, you also get a sense of, like, somebody's aura, which is finally like, oh, the colors kind of make sense now. Right. Haida's dad is, like, this special aura, which is why, and, like, he's one of the ones who, like, is the only only type of person in the world, one of every, like, 2,000 people or something or whatever. Who would conceivably accept the token of death, which would condemn him to. But he does not. To die, but he doesn't accept it. And then then Haida sucks Sukuru's dick. (laughs) In a dream, in a dream, but maybe in reality. Well, okay, so 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 let's 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 take the the, <laughs> the death token story and puts put it over in 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 a, in a cabinet for a second. They go they go to bed after that, and because they're swimming buddies, they're swimming buddies. Yeah, and they also Haida goes over to his house to listen to music and cook yeah. him dinner and whatever. And sometimes cause... suck his dick. <laughs> Just the one time. Maybe. In a dream. And then disappears. Yeah. Well, okay. So so we learn that uh, Sukuru has, over the course of... Um, I th- the timeline on this is a little weird, but he has sex dreams. He's 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 never he's he's like a sexless person. Yeah. Um, partially because his group of five friends, which were the only five people that he ever hung out with, uh, two girls, three guys, they, including himself. Yeah. They, they they sort of agreed to never date one another. Yeah. They didn't want to interrupt the balance by introducing romantic relationships to each other. But him being of the age that he is and hanging out with two beautiful women. Um, th- those, those feelings. And we learn later on that those feelings happen to everyone. Everyone in the group kind yeah. of had those, you know, that sort of incestuous, um, even though know. one of them, one of the dudes turns out to be gay. One turns out to be asexual and, but they're all battling, maybe wrong word, but battling their sexuality, trying to figure out their sexuality at a time where they've all basically agreed we're not going to act on this. And and we're also not going to really hang out with anybody else. So we're not going to we're not going to introduce anybody else into the right. group and we're not going to act on our own sexuality. So that manifests in in uh Sukuru as really graphic dreams of three ways with Kuro and Shiro. Mm-hmm. Murakami sort of describes the, the, these dreams. It's very it's a very surreal surreal way and and the dreams change but one thing that's always similar is that he always comes inside of Shiro, right? Yes, who's the one who died? Who's the one who died? But he doesn't know when he's describing these dreams, he does not know that she is dead. Is she dead at that point? I think so cuz I think I think these dreams she had died like years earlier, I believe. I didn't get the sense that she died like during the narrative. I got the sense that she had died years earlier. She dead died like something. Yeah, it, it was something like eight, eight years earlier from right. the point after he met Sarah. But I don't know when the stuff with Haida was because but that's how long when was he with Sarah? 
not not long at all but like she she had died eight years before the point where we're in the narrative right but the stuff with Haida is still when he's in college which is which is significantly before oh right so she's still alive when he's having those dreams oh yeah I don't think I really thought about that yes you're right yes yeah. So um, he's having one of these dreams uh, the night that Haida is sleeping over. And then, uh, wouldn't you know it, Haida enters that dream. And uh, she says he's about to come. Just he's about to come. And he takes, Haida takes that load right in his mouth. And apparently, also, this is in the narrative, Sukuru comes a lot. Like that. Yeah, he's just spraying all over his sheets that night. Part, it's part of this. It's part of the narrative. Haida takes it all. And and when he wakes up in the morning, he he's he's unsure whether that was part of a dream. But what he does know is that there's no cum on his sheets, and there there sometimes is. There usually is. Usually is. And after that, Haida sort of disappears from his life and never returns. And never returns. After like the the, the next morning's fine. It's like he's just like, want me to make you breakfast? Sure, let's make you breakfast. And then he goes and he swims a little more. And then he disappears for a while. He comes back and then he disappears again and never comes back. You never hear. Anything else from Haida for the rest of the text? Yep. So what's that about? I have no idea. I mean, my take on this novel, what I was expecting to happen, which never really happened, although it kind of, I guess, happens in the Haida's dad story, mm-hmm. is I was expecting this to turn supernatural. Yeah. Because I think in Japanese culture, there's a lot of, like, legends and myths of, like, like, one of my favorite movies from the last decade is Lies of the Fox Fairy. Like, there's this whole thing about, like, fox fairies, which it doesn't fit in this narrative, but, like, this idea that there are, like, these these beautiful women in Japanese forests who, like, make men fall in love with them and then kill these men. And I was, yeah. like, I kept waiting for something kind of supernatural to happen, and we, like, border it, yeah, but don't ever get there. And I was expecting, in a way, Sarah to be a supernatural kind of character. Okay. And I don't know if that's justified or if that's me bringing my own sort of weird history of Japanese culture to it, but there's something with these dreams, I think, that is left intentionally vague that you don't know if it's Haida actually sucking Sukuru's dick or maybe somehow Sukuru spirit walked and did rape Shiro. Like, you don't know. I, I am with you 100%. It feels like there should be something more, which would make it more interesting. Yeah. And there's not. So this is, so I think there's a lot more to talk about this. Um, and, and, and let's, let's get back to this after we, okay. after we talk about, um, because it feels like a cop out that he doesn't go there or but it's probably by design. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, so he, uh, according to Sarah's wishes, he starts visiting these old friends. Yep. And first he goes to visit his friend Ao. Who's a car dealer. Blue, who's a car dealer. And you see Ao, and you expect there to be tension. Each time, even after, like, spoiler for this, like, they all basically go well. But each time, even after one goes well, you're like, oh, no, this next one's going to be the nightmare. Like, yeah, it, you, and, and, and you keep thinking, why is this going so well? Yeah. Ao pretty much immediately is like, dude, we know that you didn't rape her. We well, always Well, he, he also tells her, tells him, he tells Sukuru oh, yeah, we kicked you out because, like, she said that you raped her. And we know you didn't, but, like... we uh, Well, and there's there's another thing here that gets repeated throughout the text that I frankly find kind of offensive, where his friends are just like, they're just like, we know you're not that kind of guy and you could never do that, right? right? Which is, which is like, um, well, there are probably friends that you feel that way about, but also, like, because we're... 
being told this from the point of Sukuru, who is the the uh, person who, who is accused yeah. of rape. And because we're hearing from his friends and because we never hear from the victim, her story is given very little point of view. We mm-hmm. never hear any real context from her. Her reasoning, her experiences, her motivations, her uh, all of these things are left completely in the dark. Um, if we're supposed to believe that Sukuru is innocent which i think we kind of are i think we are even though he does think maybe i did do it and he even goes so far as like this is how it would have happened it's like oh this is a weird thing yeah that's not well that's important to get to when we when we we talk about the airy section but when he's talking with ao it's like immediately we're just like like the tension is almost completely diffused because you're just like that was the mystery and also this is the first that we learn about the rape accusation. And also within like seconds of our first learning about it, we also realize that this guy's actually not mad at his, at this person who's been accused of rape. It's, he's totally like fine with him. I think, and this is a shitty read, but I think in a glass half full reading of this book, the message is don't be mad at your friends. I don't think that's the goal of this. Right. But I think that there's a way that like, hey, you think you have, like, a weird thing going on with a friend? Just, like, talk to them about it, and it's probably fine. Like, that seems to be a lesson you could get from this. Yeah. Which doesn't feel like a a lesson worthy of a narrative. Maybe it is. I don't know. But there's no tension. It's just, like, one of the three of them should be like, oh, no, I thought you did it or something. Every time that you think that there's going to be tension, it's just like, oh, my God, I'm so happy to see you. Why didn't you get in touch sooner? Why didn't you call us? And he's like, motherfucker, because you told me not to call you. Yeah. I thought that something terrible had happened and you're acting like something ter- and and now you're acting like I should have just been like gotten back in touch. WTF. Nobody told me when my friend was murdered because you just assumed that I would show up at the funeral even though you told me to stay away from you. Yeah. Well, how am I supposed to deal with all of that? Now I also do think that there is something of the like socially awkward maybe on the spectrum possibly for Sukuru where he doesn't have the social awareness if I was in that situation, I don't know for sure, but I probably would have reached out to whichever one of them I thought was I was closest to and been like, what was that about? Yeah. I don't know if that would have been a week later or a month later or a year later or five years later. But I think at some point, the curiosity and the like, this was so good for so long. Yeah. And then for it just to end, I would have been like, what was that about? And Sukuru was just like. Oh, I guess they, I guess. Well, I think, okay, so I think there is something in here that plays into what we talk about later when he's like, maybe I did do it, which is that the reason why he withholds is because he knows that there's an incredibly dark side to him. And he's like, if I ask, I'm going to find out about something terrible that I did. Is there a dark side to him? Yeah, I, I, I think, I think there is in like, um, in a very David Lynch kind of way. I think that what's going on with this book is that. It's playing with this idea of shadow realms and the idea that in his dreams, he is projecting his id into some like parallel universe where that id is doing awful things. Unspeakable things, sure. And those unspeakable things from his male perspective might just be a fantasy, right? It might be a sex fantasy with his two best friends. But when that id is uh, visible and enacting upon one of those friends and and she's subject to it, it becomes a horrific rape. Right. 
So that that's what I think is actually going on in the text. Murakami actually does his best to completely, and I think that's like the most interesting possible interpretation of this. Murakami does his best to completely undermine that by adding details that make that impossible to play out. Like, for example, Shiro said she went to Tokyo for a concert and stayed at his house. And that is a detail that is manifestly untrue. Right. Like, if, if she had been like, late one night, he just showed up at my house yeah. and did this thing, then it would be like, okay, so this is like the, the danger of the ways that male fantasies interact with even the people that they're closest with in, 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 in a very in a very dark way when they get um, enacted upon reality, when the it is let loose um, and, and there's nothing to control it, it can do some really brutal things that that man maybe doesn't even interpret as being brutal, interprets just as being part of fantasy. Sure. Murakami like is like not so fast. That's too interesting. Draw, like stop right there. This is a story about a guy that's falsely accused. And no, we're not going to listen to what the victim has to say about it because I'm going to fucking kill her. She's just going to fucking die and, and not have a say at all. Die in a way that's just like she was found strangled and the door was locked from the inside and we're never going to talk about this again. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, it was a ghost, but we're not going to talk about the ghost. Yeah. I also got the sense that like, oh, she killed herself out of grief or mental illness or whatever – but the the multiple times I bring it up, just like oh no, she was murdered. It's yeah. like it's like suicide was never an option. It's like feels like a very logical option for someone who is unwell and victim of a trauma. And yeah. Murakami's like no no no, ghost. But I'm not going to talk about that ghost. Yeah, it seems uh, I the the book is I think super disrespectful to the idea of of this person being a victim of rape. Disrespectful of 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 the the like stories that surround that and 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 the ways in which to believe people or to make sure that your friends get the help that they need um i gave this book two stars this is the book that you owned right beforehand so the way that the seasons so before and i think we've alluded to this i don't know if we've gone into detail into this peek behind the curtain that nobody really needs to know about but you had been creating basically like what we're doing seasons, but like modules or whatever for me, like books themed around a thing. Or you did that once or whatever, but I had given you like a list of the books that I had owned and either didn't read, hadn't read yet, or wanted to reread. And then you would take basically like a like in a, in a, in a series of like 10, you take like three or four from that and then take six or seven from just yeah books that you thought I would like and you made a thing about it. So I think this was one that was on the list, popular author. Important, important author. Important I mean, it's author. someone worth reading. But this is one, this is, again, going back to, like, this is my least favorite of the season. Like, this is also the one where I finish. I'm just like, it feels incomplete. Like, it feels like there's, I don't know if it's a few easy things or, like, wildly different things. But I think this could have been my favorite book of the season. Yeah. If he had, like, leaned into the weirdness he seems to set up. I almost respect the his instincts to like undermine everything interesting at at each possible opportunity he's just like you think i'm gonna do something interesting and cool here something that would make for a really imagistic and uh propelling narrative but um every time i introduce something th that has propulsion to it i'm just gonna put up a stop sign and you're going to uh, take a detour through 10 pages about classical music yeah um, so, oh, so, so Ao is, is blue, right? And then he goes to visit uh, Akka, which is... Um, red. Red. And what does Akka do for a living? 
He's like Tom Cruise in Magnolia. Yeah, he's MK Ultraman. He's just like trying to, he's mind controlling people into being subservient employees. Yeah, he sucks. Yeah, he's the worst. And his friends are all like. Yeah, we don't like that. We don't like him anymore because he's like a fucking manipulator piece of shit. Yeah. But he's also like, uh, yeah, man, we knew that you didn't rape her. Yeah, because again, there can't be tension. Yeah, immediately we're like, and and so like you you this interesting job is is introduced, and then nothing much comes of it other than his friends being like, yeah, that guy sucks now. We don't really like him anymore. And again, the tension that there is no tension. Yep. The, the the only the only tense part is when he's like when Akka's just like I get the feeling that you don't like me very much, and then Sukuru's like, um, I don't know how to feel about it. I don't know you anymore. He's like, would it change your mind if i told you that i was gay <laughs> and he's like uh no i have no opinion about that i'm an emotionless person he's like all right cool i'll, I'll talk to you later Yeah, nothing really matters to me but he's in my office really nice so after that he um goes to finland yeah sarah his girlfriend sets him up which once again has like the perfect most convenient job all the connections in the world it feels like she's supernatural she she sets him up to go to finland to visit eri Yes, black. Black. Um, and this was another part of the narrative that really, really made me mad because he surprises her. He surprises all these people. But Eri is is special in, in that he surprises her by, A, going to Finland without telling her, which yep. is an 11-hour plane ride from Japan. Yep. When, which Sugar also had never left Japan before this. When she's not home, he takes another hour drive through Finland to her country home. And I'm trying to imagine a world in which a person is aware that the reason someone stopped being friends with him is because their best friend accused him of brutal rape, where he's like, I'm just going to show up at this girl's country house and not warn her that I'm coming at all. Yeah. Like, that's so disrespectful to the idea of, like, how... There's a 90% chance that you're going to show up and she's going to be fucking terrified of you because... Or furious. Yeah, because the last thing that she knows of you is that you had raped her friend who has since been murdered. But because he is the luckiest boy in the world, she's like, oh yeah, I knew you were innocent. And also, by the way, I had a crush on you. Yeah. Also, can we before we get there, can we talk about the guy who gives him a ride to her house and then is just like angry about things? What was that about? Don't know. Like, just like this kind, this good Samaritan or whatever, who's like riding a bike. And Sukuru is like, hey, do you know how to get here? He's like, yeah, let me show you. He just hops in the car and drives in the place. And the guy's like, you want to, he's like, I know how to get here now. Do you want to ride back to town? Guy's like, no, fuck off, basically. It's just like, wait, what? And then we never see that guy again. And, 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 and also, uh, Sukuru is real pissed off about the idea of Finnish people being witty. Like, every yeah. time they, they just like have something to say about life, they have these little witticisms to say about life. And he's like, these fucking Finnish people and their sayings. Well, I think that's just like, that's, he just hates himself, right? And so, like, anybody who's like at all cool or interesting is just like his worst nightmare. Yeah. But yeah, he goes there, charms the pants off, not literally, her husband. And then she shows up and she's like, oh my God, you guys get out of here. I got to bone down with my. Not bone down. I know. But basically, like, they, it, there's, there's a very, like, you can see a branching path where, like, let's just see what it would have been like. Yeah, because, because, again, when they do things like hug, like a very sweet hug of, of friends that have, haven't seen each other in forever and have been through collective traumatic circumstances where one of their deep, deeply close friends dies via murder and they're just like, we should fucking hug because we haven't seen each other in so long. And then they hug and he's like, this chick's tits are fucking awesome. 
the way he describes her is that like you know she's older now and she's like grown into her body and she's fleshed out and also her breasts got bigger and then like literally six times in this chapter i don't know i don't know i said literally it might not be six but there's like more than a few like several times he talks about the fullness of her breasts pressed against him yeah and it's just like yeah we get it yeah yeah dude you pervert yeah it's creepy don't like it don't like it like they have this like idyllic world as well like everybody's doing well and that's also feels weirdly kind of disrespectful to the victim in that the other three from the group all are living like wildly successful lives yeah without any kind of recourse or like regret nobody's like oh we should have done more it's like we're all successes right except for shiro who played the piano beautifully couldn't get her life together possibly accused sukuru of rape because eri jealous because because she was jealous that eri loved him which is like get out of here um, I think Mirakami, it's it's possible that Mirakami uh, is the product of a time, society, mindset where he doesn't consider the point of view of women very much at all. Yeah. I, I, is that true of all uh, multiple novels? Mm, he's got better novels than this. I mean, even surrounding this, on, on either side of this novel— 1Q84 and Killing Commendatore are both better novels than this one is. I'm sorry that I own this book. I'm not sure that his attitude towards women is ever terribly progressive. I was reading about his I, I was reading about his writing process and he was like, I don't communicate with other writers ever. I don't have any friends that are writers or anything like that. Um, the only person that reads my books before I send them to my editor is my wife. And she's the one, she's the first reader. She gives me feedback. Um, there is like, you know, his his wife is is in here giving him notes and stuff like that. But I just, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that he is considering all that much of female points of view in, in, in the world that he lives in. Well, especially, I mean, I, I don't have as much of a history with him as you do. Yeah. I just have the one book that I don't remember of. But like this, it's hard to dispute that point based on this. Mm-hmm. Because then, so then he goes back to Tokyo and he calls up Sarah. He's like, hey, I talked to him, like, let's hang out. And she's like, cool. He's like, by the way, are you seeing another dude? Because he sees her because he wants to buy a gift for Eri. And when he's in the shop buying her a gift, he sees Sarah with this, like, handsome older dude. And they're both having the time of their goddamn life. Which is, frankly, she should go with that guy because he seems, she's smiling and she's laughing, which doesn't seem like anything that Tsukuru Tezaki would ever deliver right. to to anybody. Correct. He's like, are you seeing somebody else? And she's like, I'll give you an answer in three days. And he like, starts calling her at four in the morning and he's like, I love you. And she's like, I'm just glad that I know that time still exists overnight. It's like, yeah. okay. He's like, I, I had to, I couldn't. Like, I kind of understand that, but it's also like, guy. She's like, yeah. Wednesday night. Let's keep it there. And then we get to the final chapter, and it's just him talking about train stations. We don't even get to the date. So we don't even know how it ends. Yeah. Which, on the one hand, doesn't matter. Yeah, on the other I hand, care. is incredibly frustrating. I, I, no, I, don't, I, I don't give a shit what happens with him and Sarah. Doesn't matter to me. Okay. At all. Uh, what, what's the, what are the trains about? Why, why are trains such a theme? Well, I think there's something about being tangential to humanity, but being so artificial or so constructed. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Because they are so, I think, also, if we go to the, like I mentioned before, like, if, if Sukuru is on 
the spectrum. There's probably something very soothing, which he describes soothing about being on such a rigid schedule. Yeah. Like they're where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there, and they have a function and they fulfill that function. Mm -hmm. Trains will never abandon you. Yeah, they're also definitely symbolic of, you know, the the various departure points in in our lives, mm-hmm. uh, the the different, the sliding doors kind of philosophy where it's like you can get on this train and go somewhere right now, or you can stay, and and that that symbolizes like the many different paths that we take and the choices that we make that take us to things or from things, the things that take us to our friends or away from our friends, yep. or toward intimacy or away from intimacy, and he seems to have continually chosen things that take him away from intimacy throughout his life, and this book is about bringing him back to the intimacy that he had abandoned for the middle section. Yeah. I don't know. Final judgments? What do you, what do you got here? Is there more to talk about with the supernatural element? Because, like, she, I, I thought she was, I thought Sour was going to be some kind of mythical creature. At her very worst, she's a manic pixie dream girl. Who's just like she? She's remarkably cool with when he's like, "Oh, the reason they didn't, they didn't, they stopped talking to me was because they thought that I raped her." Does he tell her that? Yeah, I think so. Because I think he says like, "I know, but I want to tell you in person." I don't remember the details. He might tell her like, "I think he does." Okay, yeah. But he doesn't tell her the full story, right? But maybe he tells her the the, the short story. I don't think he, t- he doesn't tell her about the dreams and everything. I think he's going to at their date, which is probably not going to go over well. But maybe he will. <sighs> No, it will, because she's a manic pixie dream girl. She'll accept it and be like, cool, let's go listen to jazz. I think it's okay. I My big question is, why does he tell these Finnish girls that he's watching Die Hard 12? <laughs> yeah. What is that joke? Don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He could. He should have at least come up with a funny name for Die Hard. Like, uh, mm, I, if, I, if I had known this, I would have written down a bunch of Die Hard puns in advance. It's okay. I think it's okay. I think it... It's frustrating in retrospect because it could be better and it could be more. Yeah. So were you thinking it could be supernatural as well? I think it is supernatural. I think it's just that he undermines that on purpose. But I still think that, like, the point is this idea of the of the manifested id, the danger of, 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 of male fantasy entering the real world. I think that's part of what's going on here. But, like... He doesn't even have to be clear about it. He just has to strip away the things that obstruct that from being a possibility. And he doesn't do that. Right. So he's 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 undermining, continually undermining the most interesting aspects of the text. Do people like this book more than we do? Like, is this one of, like, where does this rank among... I think, I think it got pretty good reviews when it came out. Okay. But this isn't, like, his, like, what's his big book? Uh, it might be The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. Okay. Or Wild Sheep Chase. I, I, I don't... Uh, Norwegian Wood, Sputnik Sweetheart, those are all really popular books. Okay. Norwegian Wood, which I found out last night from you that it was adapted into a film. Uh, by the way, on the Patreon, patreon.com slash lotterypod, we're doing next week uh, Burning, which is a based on a short story, a two and a half hour movie I'm very much looking forward to, uh, based on a 13 to 20 page, depending on where you get it from, short story that he wrote, which I liked, which we'll talk about next time on the Patreon, the bonus feed, patreon.com slash lotterypod. Yeah, it's a better, better short story than this was a novel. Do you want to talk about fantasy casting of this, which I kind of have vaguely have answers for, or should we call Matt first, or should we... We could do both. What do you want to do first? Go ahead and call Matt. Okay. Even though it's dinner time for... for no, I think uh, they eat early because they have young kids. All right. This is the the Smash segment, Judge a Book by its Cover, with the Honorable Judge Matt Erdley theme song.
Remember whatever song he wanted it to be. What's up? Is now a bad time to talk? <laughs> is this for the podcast? It is. We're, you're live on the air with How to Win the Lottery <laughs> with Bobby Fisher. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting the baby to sleep, but he's not He's not asleep yet. Um, can I text you pictures and you can whisper thoughts about the covers? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Okay, hold on. I've never heard you whisper that softly before. I love it. So I'm sending you two pictures. This is of Bob's copy of the book. Uh, one is with the slip cover. One is without the slip cover. The book is Colorless Sukuru Tazaki and His Years of Pilgrimage. And this is, once again, the Honorable Judge Matterly on the phone. All right. Let me see. Is that die cut? No, it's like it's like clear plastic. It's like sheeting. But it but it's see-through to the, to the inside page? Yes. Yes. Oh, I see that. Okay, yeah. Oh, there you go. Ambitious. That's a that's a pretty penny to produce. So that's like a subway map. Uh, yeah. Nice little hand on the cover there. Colorless Sukutazaki. <laughs> His years of pilgrimage. Yeah, I dig it. You know, it's very uh, like uh, art school. This is what you dream of. This is why they always give you. Uh, book covers to design and then you got the kid who says oh i'd like to do a die cut where you can peek through to the inside cover and then they say yeah that's great design but no one's ever going to produce it and yet <laughs> they, they did yeah so there you go do you get a sense of what the book is about based on the cover well it has a military feel so i would assume that this is a uh, my guess is that this is a japanese veteran coming to america after world war ii and riding the subway around what gives you the military feel Maybe it's just the metal medallion style of the circular type and the stripes on top. Okay. Red, white, blue, of course, but that wouldn't really translate to Imperial Japan. Well, it'll be the red and white and the blue ocean that he traveled over to get to America. That's not what this book's about, but I appreciate that read on it. So so the book is about uh, five people. Four of them have colors as part of their last names. Then the fifth one does not have a color as part of his last name. And as like a friend group, they're like a, a hand. Like each one of them is essential. Do they fight crime? <laughs> that would make it a, a much a much better book. Yeah, Bob and I were not huge fans <laughs> of this book. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming it takes place in New York. No, in, Japan. In Tokyo, largely in Tokyo, but also in a tiny town in Japan, too. And also Finland. Oh. But yeah, yeah the, the, the subway map is like the trains, train map in Tokyo. The guy's, the guy's a subway. He, he designs subways. Oh. Well, yeah. So, you know, what stands out about this, this cover when you see it on the shelf is everything I talked about. It's the, it's the see-through component. Yeah. Which kind of makes it suck that the book's not that good because you would think that you got to earn this cover. Well, he's a big, I mean, he's like, you know, he's, he's probably the most popular author in the world. It's <laughs> certainly the most popular. You're, that, you're, that, you're, you're, you're talking to an illiterate design. Critic, <laughs> well, he's, I, I'll, I'll say he's the most popular, uh, non-English speaking author in the world. There you go. Well, then that kind of sheds us in a whole other light. Cause it's, uh, you know, it's easy to throw money away when you're sitting on the top of the heap, I guess. For sure. Yeah, you know, nice cover. Yeah. Now Could, that I know that the lines have to do with the subway lines, that's that's cool too. I also like on the cover, I mean, this is not something that you would know unless you read the book, but like the thumb, the colorless, just like that, the train is his color. Like that's just who he is. And he's like little and 
insignificant compared to the big fingers of the other people. So I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fun with the, with the, with the, the like it's an overall pretty severe, you know, typography and the, the, I don't know if that's a silver or a gray. My phone's really dim because it's a silver. I'm in putting the baby to bed. So I can't really see too well. It has a very stern design sense, but you know, the, the, the die cuts are fun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry you're doing a shitty book. <laughs> um, it, it, would, it would obviously wake up Felix if you did it now. But for future things, I think I'm going to get you a gavel so that at the end you can— Well, we have a gavel from the draft. You, you can hammer down real loud and, and then issue a final judgment. <laughs> yeah, should we come up with some sort of, like, uh, rating scale? Yeah, yeah. It, can be, it can be whatever you want it to be. This is your segment. You want This is your chance to shine. Yeah. On our say, hundreds of thousands of listeners, say whatever slur you want. It's your segment. I'll think. I'll think about the the scale and and uh, have it ready for the next time uh, you guys randomly call. Yeah, it, it might randomly be on Sunday, so you have about six days to figure that out. <laughs> but thank you for taking the time, Matt. Uh, Felix is the first baby on the pod, so shout out to him. Hello, Don. You hear that? Yeah, he's smiling. All right, sleep good, Felix. All right, you're off. Have a good night, Happy Matt. Bye, Felix. Later. <laughs> And that was the Honorable Judge Matt Erdely with Judge a Book by its cover. Theme song. Uh, so, cast, cast-wise, I don't have a cast for this book, but I have a director. Who's your director? Nicholas Wending Reffin. Ooh. And I would uh, play up the the absence of, of dialogue and uh, I would throw and, and the color. Like everything would be shaded in the, sure. in, in the color of the person that, that, that it is. And I would uh, leave a lot of empty space and a lot of droning sounds and I would make this book. And, and I, would, I would play up the surreal aspects and I would make this uh, a fucking terrifying movie. I like that. I went a lot more mundane, but like style. So what I'm about to say, I don't want it to come across as racist, but I think. Holy shit. Where's this going? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think like I have Korean directors and a Korean actor in mind because I think what I was saying to you before I started recording the podcast that I think there's not a lot of Japanese crossover into American films. Like there probably are that I just don't know about, but I feel like Korean movies, especially lately with like. Minari and stuff like that. There's been much more. Well, also, isn't a burning? A burning is a Korean film too, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I don't want to be like, hey, uh, Koreans can play Japanese, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I thought uh, Koganada, who did Columbus, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite movies probably of all time, or So Young Kim, who did the movie Love Song with Riley Keough and Jenna Malone. Have you seen that? No. Uh, they both. So Columbus is like very. Do you have you seen Columbus? Yes. So Columbus, for people who don't know, is about on its surface about architecture in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. But also about family shit and like dead relationships. I, dead I respect relationships. that movie's willingness to be incredibly boring. But it's it, so beautiful. I know. It's, it's a movie that I, I, I say that with the utmost respect. It's a movie yeah. that I really liked. Um, it is a movie that is willing to bore its audience. Justine from The Judge Matter will be a sleeping, beautiful Felix <laughs> looking blissful thinking about this book. I think that there's something like austere about this in a way that like frustrates me but i think mm-hmm. that this could be tra- like the same way that you're using the absence of things for menace yeah i think this is the absence of things for like coldness okay what do you think he could do and so young kim love song is about riley Keough and jenna malone 
basically are in love with one another. And they, I think, maybe had a relationship at one point. But since then, they split up and Jenna Malone got married and had a kid. And then they, like, meet up one day and they're like, oh, this should have been something. But it's just, like, kind of, like, love that could have been but wasn't. Mm -hmm. Beautiful movie. I love it so much. But I think that's, again, here, like, the thing that could have been a relationship that, like, took a divergent path or whatever. And I also just think that, like, you know, it, it kind of fits. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that before I realized the director was Korean. Like, that's just, like, the, the, the feel of that movie or the, the feel of this book reminded me of that movie. And I was just like, oh, also Korean director. I think it's kind of cool. And then just for, for Sukuru, and again, this is probably just because we're going to cover Burning next week, but Steven Yoon, I don't know what character he plays in Burning, but I think he's just a tremendous actor. And I think he's probably too interesting, honestly, to play Sukuru, but maybe, yeah. but I don't know. Well, they, they, they do say over and over again that he's good looking. Um, I, I will say in, in, in my, as, as far as casting the lead, uh, Sukuru, I would um, do what... Uh, uh, this is a movie that I saw a really long time ago, but have you seen Lost Highway? Yeah. Okay, so Bill Pullman, mm-hmm. that character changes into a, com- a completely yes. different actor plays that character, yes. right? That is exactly what I would do with this. I would have an actor play Sukuru up until the point where he's uh, about to die, and then I would just have a completely different actor play him. So that is really jarring, where where you, like it is very much like he's a different person now. Okay. Just have two completely different actors playing. Well, you role. brought up before you compared this to Lynch, and like I, I don't know that David Lynch would make this movie, but David Lynch could make this movie, I think, right? Yeah, for sure. So uh, he can, guy can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Uh, you want to read some emails? One of the greats. Yeah, let's read some. E- we got more than one email this two time. Emails. Two emails. Two emails, baby. The podcast is growing. It's pretty soon we're going to be taking over. Uh, well, first Somerville, then the world. Yeah. Speaking of Somerville, the other Somerville here. Or to her. Hey, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be giving out people's hometown. Uh, uh, you did it on the last one. I also did it to you just now. So. Oh, I did it on the last one, too. It's still in there. It's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. So from Egg, Meg's reaction to Sugiro Tazaki and his years of pilgrimage. You playing the piano? You Shiro? Yeah. This is the first Murakami book I've ever read. Libby, the app I used to read ebooks in the library, tells me that it just took me about six hours to read. It was very readable. Six hours to read the whole book? Yeah. What the fuck, Meg? Is that fast or is that slow? That's unbelievably fast. What's 300 pages? 400 pages. Oh, mine's, mine's... The Kindle version was like three... The Kindle version is 308. Mine's 386. Okay, whatever. Meg's fine. Stop yeah, making fun no, of no, Meg. No, she, no, I'm not, she's a fast reader. It's very readable, but there are parts that were not satisfying. I enjoy the act of reading it, but not the act of finishing it. Interesting. I did not like the whole false rape accusation, in quotes, yeah. plotline. I did not like how Shiro's character was purely a plot point. I would have liked to hear from her perspective somehow, like a diary or letters or something. And the ending felt too open-ended. It felt like Sukuru was doing all of these things in order to heal. But then at the end, it wasn't clear, at least to me, if he healed at all or if he just quote-unquote latched onto Sarah in an unhealthy way. I, I, I agree with all of that, except for I don't I don't care whether he healed or not. I think it's fine to end without knowing if he healed. Yeah, he sucks. So just let him. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not saying that in in, in like uh, if he were real, I wish him pain. I'm saying I'm saying that like as a narrative, I'm not necessarily interested in people growing that much. Sure. We get good points from Meg again. Once again, proving she should be on the pod. <laughs> Bring her on. We can call her one day and have her co-host. Co-host. I, I, if she starts co-hosting, then I'm just I'm out of the loop. I mean, we need to like a segment, like eggs segment, the okay. egg. Oh, okay. The egg corner. Okay. We also have an email from Desiree, first patron over at patreoncom pod. She gets the bonus episodes. She heard the horse, which came out today as we were recording. Oh, was, cool. That was cool. I don't know if she heard it, but she got it. Yeah, yeah. I listened mm-hmm. to it. 
the colorless Sukuru Tazaki. Joey and Bob B. She puts the B-Y in parentheses. Because <laughs> yeah, sure. I refer to you as Bob uh-huh, and uh-huh. you do not. Yeah. It's going to be a brain dump, I think, but I have some memories I'd love to get your take on. I listened to the colorless Sukuru Tazaki during one of the heavier, more melancholy times of my life. That residual melancholy is still here, and also I think the book's profoundly sad. Parts of the book that were hard for me. Then she has a bulleted list. Sukuru spent so much of his young life feeling friendless. Yep. Yeah. The nature of how his friend group dismantled. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The fact that Sukuru felt like his friends hated him, reverse this as spoilers are true, but knowing the real reason they broke up was also hard, as was Shiro's entire story. What do we think about her piano playing as a background to her childhood and adulthood? I think there's some repression and perfectionism being represented through her character, and I'm saying that as a fact, not a value judgment, because I'm a woman who is socialized as a girl, and I think repression and perfectionism are ingrained in us. For sure. I think probably plausibly i'm not i'm i'm certainly not a scholar but i think that might actually go doubly for japanese society oh for sure i also think it would have been interesting if we dabbled on that at all in the narrative <laughs> yeah. it's just like yeah that girl plays piano next well i yeah. I, know, I know yeah yeah but i do think so one thread that this reminds me of that like he keeps asking his friends hey do you remember the song and they're like no yeah and then finally Ari's like yeah of course, yeah. She's because she's the one that cares the most. She's the one that who for whom uh, uh, Shiro was a close actual friend. She's the one who feels responsible right. for for Shiro's uh, Shiro's pain, um, and she's the one who remembers her as a human more than the other ones. But I feel like that question and answer series felt unfulfilled because finally she's like, "Yeah," he's like, "Cool." Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're it's right. just like, and like they listen to it, but it's just like. So what? Yeah. I don't know. Again, more time in Shiro's life at all in any way. Whether like Meg said in, in letters or whatever, diary or something. Yeah, she, her Shiro is, uh, gets the short end of this narrative uh, really, really seriously. Desiree goes on, the college dorm masturbation? Question mark. Scene. This is not the first Murakami book I've read that describes a young man experiencing sex things. And there's something about the way he writes the scenes that feels a little aggressive to me. Also, does anyone have an idea of act- what actually happened? The masturbation is—is is that the? Well, I think the dick sucking. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think someone sucked a dick. That's. You think Hayata sucked a dick? I, and I, away. Or, or, uh, Hayata, uh, you know, the, the id Hayata's id manifested itself and intruded on Sukuru's life the way the Sukuru's id is intruding on other people's lives. So you think maybe Sukuru is like having? Oh, so just it's supernatural. Yeah, there's there's like a, a something about Sukuru that there there's a gateway that's opening up when he's dreaming and. It's it, he's receptive to to fantasy and he's uh, putting fan physical physical versions of fantasy out there in the world. Yeah. On the topic of what happened, what are your thoughts on the meaning of the haunted piano player story? We talked about that. That's Aida's dad. As friend. as far as it connects to the rest of the narrative. Yeah. I don't. I have no idea. I mean, piano carries over. Yeah. Sure. I, I I think I think that has to do with Mirakami being sort of obsessed with music. Because um, another thing throughout both this. And and all of his books, as far as I can tell, there's like a recurring uh, classical music and jazz. I think like he interprets the world through or interprets emotion through through music. Um, you see in a lot of in a lot of his because uh, I think Murakami is actually um, aside from melancholy, which I do think he's pretty good at portraying. I think his stories are pretty short on emotion. 
like they're short on joy they're short on on laughter they're short on love they're short on um even things like fear and dread mostly mostly what you get is melancholy and so i think that in place of those things i think mirakami a lot of times says like here's what they were listening to and so you you get a sense of of the emotion that exists in the text through the music that's being listened to it's like a shortcut to that stuff is murakami autistic oh i have no idea I don't, I, I don't know. You know, like, like I, I think it's worth questioning whether or not uh, Sukuru is is on, on the spectrum. But, like, I feel like something that we've done in the last 20 years probably is, like, there's a lot of speculation on people being autistic. And I, 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 I don't have the diagnostic capabilities sure. of that sort of thing. Yeah. Do we have thoughts on how easily Sukuru was able to get to Finland? P.S. I do really appreciate the weight of how he and Kuru re- reconnected and shared the truth. It just feels like Sarah's, we talked about that, like mythical, mystical. Yeah, I don't, uh, the ease of his getting to Finland, that's not something that I considered. I don't, I guess like, cause I don't, you know, I'm not an international traveler really. So this isn't something, like the idea of like me picking up and going to Finland would, uh, I would have a tough time doing it. Well, it does feel like, it's just, it's it's sort of written away easily. So it's just like, oh, I had to have a passport for work that's, I don't use, but they made me have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have plenty of vacation time that I don't use, so I have that. So, like, everything that's, like, potentially, like, a, oh, but what about that? It's just like, no, I'm fine. Domino's falling in a, in a row so that he can achieve his goal. Again, it's it's like this this thing that, that recurs throughout the entire book where it's like, every time there might be an obstacle... There's, yeah. It's just not there. There's just there just ends up not being an obstacle. It feels like fate is a character, but like not never addressed. Yeah, like he's meant to do all these things. Oh, and Manny style. Ugh, don't compare d- d- to d- that. D- deterministic determinism. Also, would love to hear your thoughts on Sarah. I liked her presence, and I thought she brought some lightness to the story. Maybe. Thanks. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts, Desiree. No, I I think Sarah is the only sane person in the entire book. She's the only person that's reacting to things in in a remotely normal way, with the exception of being like totally unskeeved or or unperturbed that he was a uh, quote-unquote falsely accused of rape yeah maybe she's just in her head like oh i'm done with this guy anyway i got this other silver fox over no, here that's not, i don't I, no i don't think so it's weird how insistent area is that he stay together with sarah she's just like don't lose her she's the most important whatever you can do don't lose this girl it's like what the fuck are you talking about yeah how do you how, like how do you how can you gauge how important this person is from afar i don't know yeah i don't know i don't know either we're on Twitter at LotteryPod, cageclub.me slash lottery, patreon.com slash LotteryPod. Keep reading. Because um, Desiree was, uh, shared uh, that she she read this at like a particularly melancholy uh, time in her in her life, I'm not going to let you get away with that keep reading bullshit, by the way. I was going to say that's a tacit um, understanding and acceptance. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Eat shit. Get fucked. I will say that something that this, this did like... Uh, enter into a very personal part of, of, of my own life uh, as well, which is that when, when I was reading about Shiro and about the, um, uh, the ways in which her friends abandoned her yeah, and, and the ways in which they saw her as being mentally ill and backed away from her and she ended up being lost to whether it be a disease or whether it be to dangerous circumstances or whether it just be to a random psycho who who murdered her you know when i was in high school i had a very close friend who uh ended up being schizophrenic and he put me and and a lot of my friends in situations that were violent or potentially violent and we were kids 
and we had fucking no idea how to deal with it. And so we just walked away from him and we, and we like didn't know how to deal with it. So we were just like, okay, man, good luck. So this kind of rings true to that in a way. Yeah. And then like a couple years ago, three or four years ago, he, he, um, died. I'm not sure how he died because I didn't ask his mom or his sister but I, I went to the funeral and it was like the one of the hardest things that I ever did in my life because I talked to his sister and I was like I have a lot of guilt about this like I, I have a lot of guilt about how we treated your brother and she was like don't even sweat it there is nothing that anyone could have done and it like relieved some of it but it's also like like as far as like friends bailing on friends who like had really difficult circumstances like this book addresses that but it doesn't even it doesn't address it it doesn't address the emotional weight of that once it was like oh shiro had all of these problems shiro invented this rape circumstance that uh though she was raped yeah but it, it invented uh, the the person who did it she was also impregnated by her rapist yes. and, and got an abortion. Um, a miscarried. Oh, she miscarried. Okay, she, she was going. She was going to keep the baby, but she miscarried. Yeah. Ari seems to be the only one who understands the weight of of this, and she's yeah. the only one that takes it seriously. And it's just another way in which Shiro is dismissed yeah. because because it's not her story. We're supposed to think th through this entire book. We're supposed to think poor Sukuru abandoned by his friends. And it's like, no, like she fucking poor Shiro abandoned by her friends yeah. who didn't bother putting it together to, to like try to help her. Right. Like it's, it's another case. It, it's like, this happens in America all the time. And so presumably it happens in Japan too, but it's like another case of like literally the most vulnerable people in society falling through the cracks when the resources are there and they only die because people decide to not care. People like don't, they're just like, it's easier for me to not engage yeah. with that person. And so like that, that, that's like an incredibly emotional, difficult part of the text that Murakami bails on. I don't want to not give him the benefit of the doubt, but I also don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt because I just largely am yeah, frustrated by it. Sure. But I wonder if, and I didn't think about this until you said your story, but I wonder if it's like he's writing from the perspective of high schoolers who are overwhelmed and just like we don't know what to do. And like, he's, he's writing from the perspective of someone who's like, I don't know what to do. Like, yeah. that's not satisfying, but like there's, that's a possible, I think, interpretation. It's also like, I, I don't, it's, it's hard to say. Cause it's like, you have to decide what stories are worth telling and you, you should never perspective is perspective. And the author has complete creative control over it. And I would never say like, that's a bad perspective to take because like all perspectives when told artfully are worth telling, but there's something about this book that is, it seems to avoid the emotionally difficult questions that that could be, you know, that that are that are really the, the the really difficult questions that, if approached and 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 dissected by someone of Murakami's talent, he's he's a massive talent. He's a great writer. You could find something really interesting to say about it, and it just feels like he doesn't want to. It just feels like he doesn't want to. He didn't want to do that, so he ended up with the worst book. I wonder if it was intentional or if it was just like, is it laziness? Or I don't think, no, I, I, I do not. I do not think it's laziness. He just I, chose. I, I think that it's a choice. He carefully chose the less interesting path. Yeah. Which, which I think is almost thematic in the book, right? Because he, he's every, every time that there's an interesting choice to make, he's like, yeah, but I'm going to, 
I'm going to go with something else. Right. It's also, I mean, you could also say that this is reflective of societal values and the way that we treat victims and the way that we prioritize the feelings of certain people over others, the way that we uh, prioritize certain stories over mm-hmm. others, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So is today's crime prematurely <laughs> ending an episode, taking the least interesting path, or just not keeping reading? Uh, no, keep- no. Keep reading. No, no, Keep, keep reading. No. Keep um, reading. (laughs) No, today's crime uh, is uh, public urination. Weirdly enough. 